Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Go to audibletrial.com slash WTT to get a free audiobook and a 30-day trial with Audible. If you do, we'll love you as much as Kanye loves Kanye. Everybody wants to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. So keep your love. I don't get enough of it. Jesus just rose again. Listen to the kids. Welcome to Watching the Throne, a lyrical analysis of Kanye West. My name is Chris Lambert, and today we're talking with Caitlin White, the managing editor for Uproxx Music. Hey, Caitlin. Hi, thanks for having me, Chris. I'm really excited. Yeah, it's uh, always nice to get a story, and I'm excited to hear your story, which I still can't believe that story is a, a word that I use in my day-to-day life and say <laughs> to other people out loud, but that's the power of Kanye, right? <laughs> You know, I think that he would be cool with it. He's always making up words and stuff, so I think he'd be fine with it. I hope so. I hope he hears the podcast at one point and is just like, Storye? That's dope. I'd be like, thank you, Kanye. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> a song on the project coming out of Wyoming will be named after that. How amazing would that be? Like, oh shit, he knows. He knows. <laughs> We're always talking about, like, do you think he's listened? Do you think he likes us? Do you think he hates us? <laughs> No clue with him, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, did you see the recent stuff that Kim was posting about North getting a puppy and what they're trying to name it? No, I don't think I did. They're trying to decide between the name Sushi, um, Peachy, like Pinchy Pink or Peachy Pigeon or something, um, and Baby Jesus as the name for the dog. And just like, Kanye having a dog named Baby Jesus seems so perfect. <laughs> oh, she's she's as intent on uh, being a god as her dad. <laughs> right. I think she's well on her way. <laughs> I've never cared about like a celebrity child before. And then I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to see North grow up and do amazing things. It happens to all of us. Right. You get hit with the celebrity bug. <laughs> yep. 
Also, speaking of getting hit with the celebrity bug, when uh, when did you first encounter Kanye's music, and what was kind of your first impressions of it? Um, I grew up in a really small town in Oregon um, with two very conservative Christian parents, so I wasn't really allowed to listen to rap music. Um, that was their take on it was sort of that it was evil, <laughs> but occasionally but they were they were aside from rap they were really open to music so we didn't really listen to them that closely when it came to music everything else I sort of had to do what they said but music I would sometimes sneak stuff and I remember specifically that my younger brother um really loved Kanye and I think that he probably heard it from like his friends on the basketball team or or sporting teams because I feel like those anthems are perfect for that kind of warm up. But um yeah, so he so my younger brother Connor was like you have to listen to Kanye and I think the first album I listened to was Graduation. I don't think I was early on to college dropout, but I remember Graduation and the cover, you know, being like, "Wait, it's a rapper but he has a cartoon album." <laughs> like everything you saw in stores was like guns and gold and parental advisory and this was just like this cute little like, <laughs> you know, cover. So I listened to Graduation a bunch, and I was in high school, um, I, what was it, what, 2007? Yeah, I was like in between high school and college when I first started. And when I first started, I was just like a casual listener. Um, and, you know, I went back and like listened to college, or yeah, to college dropout, but it never stuck with me as much as Graduation for a long time. That was my favorite Kanye record. Until, obviously, I heard um, uh, 808s and Heartbreak, which then became my all-time favorite. And has remained throughout the rest of his releases, my favorite. It's pretty awesome, too. Because I feel like a lot of us have like a special moment with an album. But then as we age, we tend to have other special moments or see the album in like different ways. And it kind of loses some luster. But to have it kind of remain as a a best friend, so to speak, is yeah. really comforting. Totally. And, and you know, Graduation, I listened to it, like, casually, like I said. 808s and Heartbreak was one of the first times that I listened to an album, like, over and over and over and over and over until I knew, like, every second of it, like, all the weird, like, outtakes and, like, every bit of it um obviously I was go I had a pretty rocky relationship at the time I if some guy I was dating in college we were very on again off again and so I would listen to heartless and be like yes he's so heartless <laughs> <laughs> how could he be so heartless oh my constant question that summer <laughs> well, what uh what was it when you were listening to graduation that first stood out to you because you talked about the the visual aspects of just seeing the album cover which is really interesting to me just to think about, because I know a lot of the narrative about Kanye is that he like killed the gangster rap in that way. And you think about that in the content of the music, but not often in the visuals of the albums, which even from the beginning, just with the bear kind of sitting right. on the bleachers is very different than anything else. But sonically, what was it that kind of stood out to you? Well, about, about the artwork, I think the reason why that was appealing to me is because I was trying to hide it. Like I couldn't let my parents know that I was listening to rap. So the fact that it was like so unassuming was like helpful for that. Um, 
I, you know, I had never, I had never heard anything like it. I had no background in rap. So uh-huh. I was just shocked by hearing, you know, samples, first of all. And then like when other voices would come in, I'd be like, oh, is this a different rapper? Like I was just like constantly feeling <laughs> like I was discovering something new. And, and, you know, like, I think there's just like such a, uh, and, and throughout most of his work, but there's such a theme of like, of self-love and of being like really vulnerable about what he's going through. And before that I had only, I listened to a lot of folk music and a lot of country music and I had only really heard that in that context. So to hear it from a totally different style of person and character to me was really fascinating. That uh, brings up an interesting question to me about as somebody coming into rap, uh, with that limited perspective at that age, having listened to a lot of other music, did you feel that the lyrics lived up to the high quality of other genres? Did it shock you when you listened to more rap and Kanye felt out of place or did the rest of the rap genre kind of impress you from the lyrical point of view? That's a good question. I, let's see. Well, I remember that I, there was, I thought there was a lot of swearing. Like I, this was, I was still like very Christian at the time. So I was like, I thought there was a lot of swearing, but then I sort of grew to like it. Cause I felt like it was communicating something like really intense. And I, I think the thing that I've always been drawn to as I listened to more hip hop was the intensity. Like, I think a lot of music is sort of like half-assed or just like, you know, pop music can be very surface level. That's obviously one of the main critiques of it. Um, country music and folk music are very earnest and, and they might be emotional, but the intensity, I always was so drawn to that. Like I would use Kanye when I was running or I would use it to like pump myself up before like really important events in my life. And I hadn't really had music that I used in that way before as like sort of a way to like build my own self-confidence. And I think that rap has always functioned for me in the, in that way of like a way to feel like, you're a thousand percent and nothing can stop you. Um, and he is like one of the number one purveyors of that. But as far as complexity, I always loved his wordplay. Like, you know, a lot of people groan at his puns, but I was an English major. I was like reading like Milton and Dante doing the same like casual wordplay in their own time, in their own meter. And I, I it felt the same to me. It didn't feel lowbrow which I think was another thing that I had been led to believe right that like rap mm-hmm. was like lowbrow and I've I've never really felt that way even even now like when I listen to gangster rap or like Kodak Black or someone like that I think that the the lyrics to rap music are often much more interesting and complex than um you know pop or rock like rock like if you sit and look at rock lyrics like they're all garbage like it's just not <laughs> Like the Beatles have nonsense lyrics and people are constantly like, they're brilliant. Like, you know, I, I, I think that's a, a false equivalence a lot of the time, but I do think it was harder for me to connect to other rap that wasn't as vulnerable as, as Kanye. And there's a different degrees to that with how vulnerable Kanye is and how, as you're saying, kind of, uh, uh, blustery is it the right word, but like confidence building so much of other rap is that a lot of the time the point of it isn't to show the vulnerability, but to push away vulnerability, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which we just did a episode covering guilt trip. And we talked about Kanye's use of pop can 
and referencing uh, Pusha T's song Blocka is actually mm-hmm. that same kind of him using harder gangster music to try to build up his own self-esteem after having this uh, emotional vulnerability of hold my liquor, I'm in it, blood on the leaves, and trying to get mm-hmm. over the relationship. And then what follows from Guilt Trip and that building back up of the confidence through that Blocka song and more the gangster life is Send It Up, which delves right back into that egotistical, in the club, getting women kind of Kanye. Right, right. Um, You know, I think what's interesting about him is, like, he often says, like, I didn't make gangster rap because that wasn't my experience, and I wanted to be true to my own experience. Um, And I think a lot of times, especially for black Americans, there's not a lot of multiplicity with the narratives that they're allowed to fit into. And you see this from things as intense as and horrific as police violence to hip hop. And that just the, like, I felt like he opened up a space for me and like, I'm not even from that community. So I can't even imagine like the impact that it had that he was able to, to not, to not fall into that trap of being like, okay, well, like, you know that Kanye could make like a sick gangster rap album, you know, (laughs) he didn't, he like got like a cartoon bear and was like doing sketches about like (laughs) workout videos, you know, like (laughs) it's just so himself. Um, And I think even when he uses other artists in that way that you're talking about, like it always still feels like a Kanye song. Like anytime a Kanye song comes on, you like know it's a Kanye song. Like, even if it's off like a weird, even if it's like a late registration far down track that you've never heard, there's something, his, his fingerprints are just so clearly on it. And for, and for an artist that uses other artists, whether it be through sampling or producing or guest features or um, co-writing so often, I think it's phenomenal that he is able to maintain that somehow. And I don't even have a better explanation for it. I just know that that's true. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the three laws of Kanye. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But I think that part of the reason that feels so true is that after he does something, it becomes what everyone else copies. Like Pablo comes out and then, you know, you have people editing their albums after they're out and changing things and giving different versions. And it's like, okay, yeah, we like, I love Frank and I loved what he did with Blonde, but I'm like, would he have been able to pull this off without Kanye editing Pablo? Like, I don't know. Right. Like Kanye was the, uh, the oldest child that does the thing (laughs) that everybody kind of pushes back against. And then like Frank gets to come along as a middle child that gets away with everything. (laughs) That's a good comparison. (laughs) Well, so you talked about uh, 808s impacting you so hard. Um, what was it that stood out to you between listening to Graduation and then picking up 808s and just being like, whoa, this is... Did it feel like a whole other level of Kanye? Was it something that you expected from him after listening to Graduation? I think Kanye changed how I listened to music. I think he was the first artist where it felt so urgent 
to hear his album right away. Before that, I don't even think I listened. I listened when I was growing, when I was coming up, I listened to a lot of old music, like music that had been out for a long, long time. I listened to a lot of classic rock and, and folk music and Bob Dylan and Tom Petty and like all of these like very big names, but that were like a little bit past their peak. I don't think I had really been invested in an artist who was still actively creating music and like actively reshaping the zeitgeist as they went along. I hadn't been a fan of, of someone that current before. So when 808 came out, I was like waiting for it. And I I think that might be the first album where I was doing that. Like I, I feel like Kanye is a big part of why I started like checking music blogs and like understanding that there was like people on the internet talking about what I like. Cause like I said, like first I, I grew up in a very white small town in Oregon, like rap in Oregon is like non-existent. I mean, now it's getting better, but especially when I was growing up a decade or so ago, it, that was the case. And, and then I went to a very small private Christian school in LA called Pepperdine. So there wasn't a lot of people listening to rap there either. Um, so I think I went online to find other people that like talk <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, I was also getting older. Like I think graduation has a theme and college dropout obviously has a theme and late registration. Well, I don't know if that one has the theme, but the, the, the theme <laughs> on 808s was so strong and it, it just happened to be resonating with, with what I was experiencing throughout, you know, the rest of 2009 that, that's part of what made it stick for me is that here was a person rapping about a thing I had just got that I was currently going through. And it seemed like he was currently going through it or he like just had. So that level of connection, I think was part of what really drew me to this record in particular. And like, I don't know, I don't know if I hadn't been going through a breakup, if it would have been that strong of a pull on me. Like I, I write a lot about, about um, grief and using music and grief and, and breakups. And every time someone tells me like, oh, I hate that Beach House. Like there was a record in 2015, Beach House's Depression Cherry, and I wrote about it for Stereo Gum. And um, someone told me like, oh, I just hate this record. And I was like, well, I sort of feel like you have to be going through something to get it. And then like mid last year, the same person hit me up and was like, I get it now. I'm going through something. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Cause I always sort of like, assume, I was like, maybe if they were going through something or maybe they just won't like it. So I think some records are, are situational in that way. But I think because 808 is such a strong entry into like the breakup record canon that people do come to it maybe years later and feel it on a new level. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that I had been going through a breakup, but I just hated being in Cleveland, Ohio when I uh -huh. first heard it. And really just like the tenor of it was something that I really resonated with. Mm. But mm. it is really been interesting to see how other people come to that album and reconnect <laughs> with that album. And I feel like that happens way more than any of his other work. Like, I feel like I see some people saying like, oh, I just get Yeezus for the first time, but way more people being like, yo, 808s, man, like 808s is, oh, that's emotional. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, and, and a good breakup record, I think should function as sort of like 
any sort of self-examination or grief or unhappiness should sort of fit into it, right? Like a romantic breakup is just one form of grief. And it happens to be the one that our culture is like the most accepting of and the most familiar with talking about. But what you're talking about, about being in a place that you don't feel like whole in basically, that's, that's another form of grief as well. And and so much about this record is like him trying to figure out who he is, you know, And, and what, and it seems like that was mostly sparked by a romantic relationship. But I think a lot of it was sparked by him coming into his own as a famous rapper, you know, like this was one of the records that really, he was at the height of his fame, basically. I mean, I guess you could argue that he's more famous now, but he was hitting that level for the first time. And I think a lot of it is about that, like streetlights. Like, I feel like that's so much about that. (laughs) It really is like that. We just did an episode on that, I think a month ago. And just that feeling of, you page away and now you're sitting in the car and that sense of like, you could get out of the car, but you're not getting out of the car. And what are you missing as Mm -hmm. like you're heading towards this destination, but like you're not really in control anymore. It's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of levels to it in such a simple song. Well, and I think that it's, it's also the idea that like once you hit this one level, you're going to be happy and maybe understanding that that's not true and that maybe the place where you're going to be happy, like you don't even know what it is anymore. Cause you've got all the things that you wanted. So like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, like when he said, I know my destination, but I'm just not there. And it's just like, man, but you're like the most famous rapper. And you're like, <laughs> so amazing. like what else do you need? He just needs to be a real boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually I think that the Pinocchio story um, is a very interesting track because I think it's terrible. Yeah. I think, you know, and so many people say about Kanye, like, oh, he didn't finish this or there's fragments or it could have been good or he needs an editor, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, we actually know what a shitty Kanye song sounds like. Like, it's Pinocchio's story. Like, that is, I, I don't find a lot to connect with on that. Um, and sometimes I think he put it specifically on this album as a contrast to be like, look how much I shaped my emotion. Look what I was able to do with it. And um, in some ways, I think that makes it really brilliant. Interesting. Interesting. Well, so what was the first track? I guess Heartless was one of the first ones that jumped out to you. As 808s has been uh, such an album for you for years now, almost almost a decade. Damn. Yeah. Life. Yeah lifetime um is it what's a surprise you about the album as you come back to it again and again i was recently talking with a friend he talked about how you know the first time you listen to an album it might be tracks like one four and nine that jump out to you and then like a couple years later you're like oh my god track seven track seven have you had that experience with 808s yes well i think what's interesting is like when i was listening to it I didn't know who young Jeezy was. I barely knew who Lil Wayne was and I kind of knew who Kid Cudi was, but listening to it now and like thinking of Kanye as a curator and, and understanding like who Wayne was to him, which I don't think I had any idea at the time or like understanding what young Jeezy meant on, on the song. Amazing. Like, I think that's 
been an interesting thing as I learned more about the ecosystem of hip hop and like who he was selecting to put on this record. I think it's, it's funny. Cause like, you know, young Jeezy, like Mr. Hudson, like these, you don't hear those guys a lot in mainstream rap right now. So I think that's um, an interesting aspect of it for me, but I think what's I think what's funny is okay so it came out and it was just like whoa this is crazy like it was like a time when people still thought autotune was like a cop out and like kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah. So like I remember being slightly embarrassed that I liked it so much cuz no one I knew liked it. Everyone right? thought that it was shitty. Right? And that hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just like listen to it in the car all by myself. Like I would um I went to college in LA but I lived my parents lived up in Oregon still in like a suburb of Portland so I would drive home um you know christmas and summers like there and back and both times i remember that i listened to 808s a ton of the time um and i did it alone because like i didn't really want people to to know i mean i was still such a new knew in like my rap fandom that I didn't really have any friends that liked rap. And I also knew that everyone thought this record wasn't very good or something. Like I was just confused about why there was drama. It felt like dramatic. Um, and now, you know, I, people are always referencing this record or people know way more about it than me. Like I, I definitely wasn't a fan who was like reading interviews or like knew to look up production credits. Like I said, I didn't even know who young Jeezy was. I was just like, wait, is this like a new vocal effect? No, this can't be Kanye. Like that's how like <laughs> small my knowledge was. Um, but now I think, you know, like now I know who no ID is. So I like go back and I'm like, Oh shit. Like that's no ID. Like that's why it sounds like that. And like just other, other things about having deeper knowledge about it are really cool. But I think the, the coolest thing is so listening to it when it came out and being like, okay, I really like this and listening to it maybe like five years ago and being like, okay, like this record has aged, you know, like it sounds like a very specific time. And like in 2012, 2013, like I still liked 808, but I was like, wow, this doesn't, this is this record has aged. Mm -hmm. And now five years later listening to it, I'm like, wow, this sounds really good again. You know, like it like goes through different periods of context within the rest of uh, what's popular, what rap is doing or what pop is doing. And I think a decade out, like a lot of people are returning to this sound for sure. Like really spare minimal beats, you know, um, really emotional lyrics. Like this is like what a lot of stuff sounds like right now again. Um, and I think you can't, you really can't overestimate the, the influence of this album. Like, I know a lot of people talk about T-Pain and other people that used autotune. I mean, maybe even Akon, but like those sounds and the way that they used it haven't resonated the way that he used it did. And I think it just goes to show the way that different artists can use different instruments isn't the same with just like a guitar. Like the way that <laughs> Kanye used autotune as an instrument has become so pervasive in pop that you almost forget it came from this this album. Yeah, it seems like it was just not there and then suddenly pervasive everywhere. But like when you're going back through everything, you're like, oh, yeah, this was the Big Bang. It was 808s. Yeah, and for a while it was very deeply uncool. Like people <laughs> criticized it so much. That's why when people are like, I hate Jesus, I'm like, fuck you, in five years you're going to love it. And guess what they do, you know? like. <laughs> I, I think the same thing with Pablo. So many people are like, this isn't as good as his other work. I'm like, we're entering a new phase. Like 
we're entering a phase of fragmented songs. We're entering a phase of artists tweaking things after they come out. And look, you know, same with Frank, same with Lord. Like, I feel like even similar, like James Blake's, Blake's record from last year to me felt like another like child that was a sibling of Pablo, you know, like you just hear the, the greatest minds or Bonnie Vare's record from late last year. Like everyone sort of goes to a different phase, but I feel like Kanye always gets there first. Yeah. It's talking about Pablo and fragmentation and all of that. It's, it was shocking to me how postmodern Pablo felt and kind of recognizing more postmodernism, I guess, in music. I'm sure it was there before, but I just feel like, since Kanye did it, it's something that I at least notice more, or see people trying more, which is really fascinating to me because I've always been a, a sucker for modernism and postmodernism and literature. Um, yeah, well, I think what he did, especially with Pablo, was like break the preciousness of the completed album. Like, he's always been someone who's had demos leak or had hard drives stolen, or, you know, we've heard things in various stages. And that's always been a huge part of his influence and what he did. But with Pablo, he's like, nope. Like, <laughs> even the whole, like, I think I have the wrong version of Wolves as an MP3 somewhere that I listened to the most. And then I listened to Pablo on Spotify, and it's like literally a different record. So I think, yeah, I think a lot of it's about preciousness and a lot of it's about, you know, monetization of consumption. Like, the way that how much a song burned onto a CD and put out by a label used to be worth has basically evaporated. So it's like, well, why not change it if we're all just going to stream it anyway? (laughs) Right. And that's something that we can do, have the power to do. And I don't know why, why not do? Yeah. Um, But I was listening to whenever I was writing God, was it a, a month ago? Whenever we put up every, we ranked every Kanye album, and I think that's sort of how you found us. Um, I was listening to, um, it was in May, I was listening to 808s a lot on Spotify, on my phone, in my car, I think over Bluetooth. Maybe it was plugged in or maybe it wasn't, but I was just like, if you would have told me, and, and when, I was, when I was telling you about driving back and forth, from LA and Portland on breaks. Mm -hmm. I was definitely listening to a shitty scratch up burnt CDR that I had like, you know, probably, (laughs) probably burns a friend's copy of 808s or maybe downloaded it off a torrent site, you know, and um, I don't think I got it, but just the difference in medium, I was just laughing of like, if I could know now that I could hold thousands of albums on my cell phone like not even my ipod my cell phone i don't even know what i would have thought it's crazy like god just to think how much the world's changed from the time kanye released his first album and how we engage with music and listen to music to the point where it's now it's it's crazy it's so weird and it's just gonna keep changing i think um and it's it's also strange because like we can see the trajectory of so many influential artists and like where they fall off. And like, I don't think he's fallen off yet. I mean, some people do, but I don't. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like when is it, you know, like, when is it going to happen? Or like, is it ever going to happen? Or like, like I'm still so fucking excited for the next Kanye album. Like that to me is like a gift as a fan to still feel that level of connection. And I was thinking about this because Jay-Z has a new album coming out. And I was like, yeah, I'm, like, excited, but, like, I'm not, like, Kanye excited, you know? Like, 
still makes everything feel like an event. And that, especially in a world that is saturated, like we were talking about before with like every fact you read, you have to immediately move on and there's a new news story and there's a new artist and there's a new hit song, like to still feel like, wow, a Kanye album is an event that I'm going to look forward to no matter when it happens. I'm going to drop everything. Like that feels really cool as a fan, I think. Absolutely. Like what other, what other artists has like movie theater showings of movie theater? like, Come on. Madison Square Garden, dude. Yeah, like, right? it's like, the most iconic venues on earth. Like, that's amazing. Um, but I did want to say something about um, the visual element. I think another thing that I actually ended up loving about 808s and Heartbreaks, even though I didn't heartbreak, even though I didn't buy it, was that it wasn't the bear. Yeah. It was like this minimalist heart, and that felt really cool to me because, like, you know, I, I, what was I, a, a sophomore or maybe a junior in college? And it was like, yeah, I'm like an adult now. Like, this is a <laughs> album. Yeah, <laughs> homie school's finished. <laughs> and it was such a shift for him. And he's never gone back to the bear either. So I think it was, even for him, a shift um, that's signified by his visuals, which are always super important to him, clearly. Yeah, that's a... Uh, do you ever go through and watch just maybe for fun, maybe for research, for work, anything like his music videos? Um, I have a little, but not a ton. I, ha I have like a weird thing with music videos, <laughs> which doesn't work very well as, as a music editor, but like I sort of like to have my own ideas and images in my head when I listen to the songs. Interesting. And sometimes when I, with the music video thing, I feel like that's been taken away a little bit. So I, I actually don't, do that. I know a lot of music editors do, and a lot of people are really drawn to the connection of, of having both, but I'm not. <laughs> um, the, the record where that's not the case, obviously, is my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in the Runaway film, which I think is sort of, you can't really untangle those. <laughs> um, no, no, nor should you, because... Yeah, yeah. And you very clearly aren't supposed to, but what, what videos were you going to bring up? Well, just... Kanye's uh, visual approach, he's such a, like, cause he was going to college initially to be a fine artist and had won awards for painting and often talks about when he's making music, he sees it as a painting in kind of a synesthesia kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, and watching his music videos, all of them have like, like, like film school <laughs> kind of like, this has a theme, this has narrative, this has depth. Like, this should be just, like, a, a short film more so than a music video. And it's always really cool to me when I discover a video of his for a, a song I didn't know he had a video for. And I'm just, like, blown away by all the things he's doing in it that are so creative and, like, connect with the themes on the song and have these amazing visuals. Like, the uh, Love Lockdown video is insane and really helps expand on the themes of the track and clarify them, I guess, in a way. Um, but then going to the fade video and how crazy that was and how interesting, I just, I've yet to watch a Kanye music video that didn't leave me impressed visually. And I know he apparently works a lot with the directors and works a lot on those. Yeah, I think he's pretty meticulous about every single thing. <laughs> um, 
love lockdown. I'm like re re watching the video now so I can remember. I'm not sure I totally remember it. Um, but that is one of my favorite songs on here. My favorite songs were always, I would, I do this thing where I'll get like my favorites and I'll skip between them half the time. So my favorites are always heartless, which was my number one favorite. And then love lockdown, paranoid, Robocop, streetlights, coldest winter. And then I would start back over those. That was like my favorite favorites when I first listened to it. But, um, I think love lockdown is interesting because like, Sometimes you feel like it's a song about being trapped and sometimes it's a song about feeling like you want to feel more secure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like lockdown can really have that duality in terms yeah. of like, I am locked down. I need to lock this down. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to have like that duality <laughs> in a relationship because so often there is both. Like so often you're like really happy and, and like them and then, you also still feel like, okay, I don't want this anymore. Uh, <laughs> right. Or even like, I love seeing you, but I just need three days of like barely seeing you. Yeah. And... Or like, can we just not let everyone else ruin this by knowing? <laughs> like, <laughs> just like, don't let everyone get involved because then they all have their opinions or whatever. Yeah. Relationships can be rough. And yeah. 808s captures it so perfect. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, so what impact overall do you feel like Kanye has had on your day to day or on, I guess, uh, your relationship with music or just how you approach the world? Hmm. I mean, I think, I think that one of the first people I ever heard talk about self-love was Kanye. Like, especially especially as a man talking about it. Right. Like, I mean, I self-love has become like a thing that is like really popular now, but like everything that I heard raised in like the very intense Christianity that I grew up in was about loving others and being selfless. Like I was supposed to sacrifice for everyone all the time. And especially for this random God who I was supposed to have this close relationship with and to hear him, like I said, like standing up so much for himself and like, being willing to be vulnerable and like turning that into a strength and turning that into, you know, expression that helped other people. And that helped me. I think that's part of what I still today try to do with my writing. Like I write very personally. I write very emotionally. Um, I don't try and take my own voice out of it. I think that like the lens or the focus of my personal experience is part of what makes the writing resonate. Like people, people don't like reading dictionary entry reviews of music. Like that's not <laughs> how people interact with music. Like they interact with it. Like me in college going through a breakup and driving through the Hills of Malibu and screaming heartless out the window. Like that's <laughs> how people interact with music. And I want to get those kinds of narratives into my work. And I, and I think that, I think that he really influenced me on that. I mean, like I said, I started looking online for other people talking about music because Kanye was, I, I started learning about hip hop only because of Kanye. He was the first time that I interacted with rap in any meaningful way. Um, and obviously I'm a music writer now and I help run 
um, we have like our primary music site, but we also have a, a totally hip hop blog and I write a lot about hip hop now. So he literally changed the trajectory of my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just, it's just so hard to be vulnerable when every voice from your peers who are jealous of your success or who don't like your style or who think that you're doing things wrong to ads that tell you that you're not good enough to politics that tell you that you don't deserve to be treated the same as other people. Like so many loud, loud, loud voices are telling us to hate ourselves and that we're not good enough and to stop trying and that it's not worth it. And his music has always been a source of, for me of, of self-love and, and self-motivation and confidence and, and the courage to be vulnerable. Like it's so tough to, you know, <laughs> to go and write my feelings online about music. <laughs> that is like my job. So I think that he is such a good example for people who are trying to use their vulnerability to help bolster others or to tell their own stories. I think a really key point about that too, because you talked about how hard it is to write those articles where you're putting yourself out there because you know there are going to be comments on articles, you're going to get tweets about the articles, and there's always going to be people that are being assholes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's unavoidable. And to think Kanye, from the position he's been at and the amount of criticism that has to come his way, he could have played it very safe following the success he had with uh, College Dropout and Late Registration and he went a little daring with graduation relative to the first two albums and got a lot of flack for it. And instead of coming back to what people wanted from him, he gave us 808s. And mm. instead of uh, recoiling from the response to that and from the Taylor Swift incidents and everything, he gave us My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And just to see that he's continued, despite how large the criticism has grown, to stay that vulnerable... And to continue to open up more and more and break new ground with each album is, I think, impressive. That is such a great point. That is such a great point. I love that. I'm going to hold on to that. Um, <laughs> that. That reminds me of something else I wanted to say. I think, like, when you have haters or when you see someone that has haters, like, maybe there's this um, tendency to think, like, oh, I did something wrong or I need to change or, like, what's wrong with that person that all these people hate them, you know, like like you were saying, or like, how can I make these haters go away? Like, what can I do to make people happy and make people like me? And I think Kanye is such a good example of the haters not being right. Like literally who has more haters than Kanye? Like probably no one. <laughs> so many people hate him irrationally or rationally or because of racism or because of whatever else. And he just continues to do exactly what he wants to do. And yeah, that is super super admirable and super important you're so right that's such a good point thank you what do you what do you think uh, about the dynamic between kanye's music and kanye uh the celebrity and how people respond to each of them because like uh, a couple months back i was having my hair cut and i told the woman that was cutting it that i have a kanye west podcast and she's like "Ugh, i wish you would have told me that i hate him so much i was like so intense, right yeah it's i was so like why? She's like, because he interrupted Taylor Swift. Yeah, they don't have a real reason. They just <laughs> don't like, like, I think, I think, okay, as someone that grew up 
literally not being allowed to listen to rap music. Okay, mom and dad, not the best call. Um, <laughs> there was an overarching narrative remains, but it's probably shifted a bit now. There's an overarching narrative in white America that rap is made by like evil criminals who are trying to convince kids to do drugs and have sex, right? Like that is like the overarching narrative and having Taylor Swift is an easy stand in for like the correct type of artist who writes songs on the guitar and is like white and thin and blonde is like a super easy way to sweep that actual narrative under the rug. Cause what I just said, what they believe rap music is like, none of them would admit that or say it out loud. They have ways of framing it, but at the heart of Kanye hatred, I think is uh, still like an overarching white conservative hatred for rap music and for the creativity and self-love of black men in America, you know, like that is the heart of it. Um, and then it get, it gets deeper from there with Kanye in particular, because he won't do what they say. He won't be the good <laughs> celebrity. Like he will go up there and interrupt Taylor Swift. And I remember even at the time, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. I'm a huge Beyonce fan. And I remember thinking, and like I said, I wasn't in the industry. I didn't really know a lot. I sometimes watched award shows. I think I was watching because I I liked Taylor Swift. But I remember thinking like, man, he's right. That Beyonce video is way better. And that's like all I thought about it. Um, and I think that's all he thought about it, too. He was like, no, I just have to say that this isn't correct. You know, like this is the wrong are getting awarded. Like I have to, I have to tell them that they're wrong. Like that's not right. This is the incorrect art. This is this, this is the video that changed the entire year. Like, let me just tell them real quick. And I think the tendency to attribute so much um, malevolence to him is because of racism. And, and I think that that narrative is finally starting to unravel partially thanks to Kim, who I'm getting to, don't worry. But (laughs) you know, he won't, like, he'll go meet with Donald Trump because he thinks it's important. Like, he'll, he just does whatever makes sense to his own rubric of morality and his own rubric of what's important in the world. And that's not what the world wants from celebrities. The world wants celebrities to do whatever they think is right or to do whatever is popular. And he just consistently will not do it. Now, when he married Kim Kardashian, I know that changed how a lot of people felt about him. Personally, it didn't change how I felt about him. I already really liked, no, that's not true. At first I didn't like him. And eventually I started liking her um, because I went, so I went to Pepperdine, which is in Malibu, which is really close to Calabasas. Mm -hmm. So I literally like babysat for kids who lived in like the Kardashians, like I forget what you call it, gated community, I guess. And I think, and then I like went to their store dash and I was like always around that area. And I think eventually I just got interested in them and started watching their show. And that's sort of when I was like, wait, these women are genius. Like they just turned their daily lives into for <laughs> it. Like that's like the original American dream, right? Like just like scam your way into <laughs> riches and fame. Like they're not even doing anything. And instead of being upset, I was like happy. Cause especially for women, like we weren't even allowed to work only a couple decades ago, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's still huge for women to be able to make that much money. So by the time they got married, I wasn't against her, but I think, you know, people are 
going to have their own opinions about plastic surgery and about reality TV, you know, the OJ documentary coming back out about her dad, like about Caitlyn Jenner. Like there's so many things for people to hate on there. It's such a complicated, unreal family. Um, and people don't like complicated things. They don't like to think outside of their boxes. And if the Kardashians are anything, it's outside of the box. I don't think that they're totally unimpeachable. Um, but I don't, I don't really have the level of hatred for them. Like this is like a family of middle Eastern women who are some of the richest women in America just by living their regular lives. Like to me, that's incredible. (laughs) That's incredible. How can you hate on that level of entrepreneurship? Like that, that, that blows my mind. Um, I always say that I think it would be very easy for them to have had like, two or three years where they were so popular and then fallen off. Like that's almost, I don't know. I feel like that can happen to a lot of people, but for them to have the sustained, uh, zeitgeist impact and relevancy and to increase popularity and increase their like hold, I guess, both like financially and emotionally, um, (laughs) is really insanely impressive. It's sort of like Kanye, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a lot more thoughts on the Kardashians, but they're mostly positive, so I don't think that um, <laughs> a lot of people agree with me. <laughs> I, I don't. I. It's made me happy to see that a lot of Kanye fans overall, I feel like, have given like come to the Kardashians with an open mind, even if they thought less of them before, just from, I guess the the general impression that you get when you just see something from the peripheral. Um, but then to be such Kanye fans that they start to engage with a little bit more and just be like, actually what they do is kind of impressive. <laughs> like, and they're not bad people. Like, are they dumb? Like that's highly debatable. Like, are they characters? That's also highly debatable. Like there's, I feel like a lot of, layer into it that is more complicated but that at the end of the day it's all very harmless yeah very very yeah. harmless and why and it's sort of it's sort of like with Kanye like and why is it your concern to talk all day about how much you hate this thing like that's kind of weird to me <laughs> right is it well let me clarify this is it weird to talk about how, why you like this thing all day because uh, if so, I may need to go see a doctor. No, I think it's perfectly normal mm-hmm. to talk about things that you love. I just don't under like you know it's like people you love like you spend as much time with po- as possible with them, but like I don't understand people who spend all day talking about things that they purportedly hate. It's like well the things I hate I just try to ignore them. Like I don't <laughs> use my space and my love and my time on them. So something's off there in yeah. my opinion. You minimize that shit and you maximize. Which you adore. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, um, any other Kanye person questions? Um, well, I do. I like speaking about Kim. I do think it's interesting how his music has changed as a dad and as a married man. Like yes. 808s is not a married man album. Like it's very <laughs> like a lonely single guy album or girl album. And I was listening to Jesus again the other day and I was like, wow, this is like such a like 
post serious romantic love record. Like there's so many, like, I, I, I was just like, wow, this is not the record of like a single searching person. This is someone like grappling with like how to be in love and how to move forward as an adult. And, and maybe that's part of why I love 808s still too, is it's a little juvenile, like, <laughs> and there, and there's like that universal, like juvenileness of it. Like when you break up with someone and you're like, fuck you, you're so heartless. Like that's such a like common theme that we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I love paranoid because it's like, Oh, you're still so insecure that you can't even like, trust me that I like you. Like, who hasn't been with someone where you're like, I like you so much and you like, can't get to it. Like, that's so sad. Like, I wish I could just like get you out of that into believing that I care about you. Like, these are very like early love surf, like more of the surfacing type of stuff. And I think that, you know, he gets into deeper sort of family stuff in his later records, which I, and again, like if he wasn't married, we wouldn't, he wouldn't be there. So they should be thankful to him. (laughs) Right, like I personally, Jesus and Life of Pablo were my two favorite Kanye records. It alternates back and forth which one has the number one spot, and I absolutely agree that those records wouldn't exist without Kim and the impact that she's had. Yeah, yeah, and those are two very. I'm very supportive of those two choices. I think, I think Jesus is probably my number two. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I guess that begs the question. Top five Kanye songs. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I also have this thing where I, um, I, I don't like ranking things, which was sort of the impetus behind the Kanye list is all my, all my writers, most of my writers are guys, shocking. And um, they were all arguing in our Slack room about which was the best Kanye album. And instead of, and I, 808s is my favorite, but like, I don't, it's my favorite. Like, I think that all the other arguments also make sense. Like, I think the argument for every single Kanye record makes sense. But what I loved I don't care who wins per se. You know, what I loved was seeing each writer's reason for why they loved the album or songs off the album or that period in Kanye's life. And um, that's how I got the idea. And I actually saw that Fader had done it before, right before Pablo came out. So it's not that original of an idea. But what I loved was just giving people the chance to write about the things they love about Kanye. Like I said, let's not take up space with the haters all day. Like let's take up space with things that we love all day. And, um, it was after that, that I told them, I was like, you know, I don't, I think that this constant urge to rank things is a very male desire. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me if there is a best Kanye song. Is there a best Kanye song? Like, I think that question is sort of flawed. How could there be a best Kanye song? It's Uh, so subjective. But, um, Let's see. Maybe I can maybe I can figure out the Kanye song that I've listened to most. <laughs> I don't even know. Oh, I was telling you my current my current favorite Kanye song is Famous. I love that song. Hell yeah. What uh what is it about Famous that gets that gets the people going, that gets you going? <laughs> um let's see. I think the like Well, I love the Rih- I love that Rihanna's on it. 
I love that he's sort of like talking a shit. <laughs> I love. I mean, the sister Nancy sample to me is just like there's like a section when that comes in that is like I think I just listened to that section over and over and over again last year to cheer myself up, um, and like I guess I sort of like the um, the blot, the fact that it has like this horrific thing on it that everyone has to look at immediately you know like when a statue is like missing its nose and you like can't look away from the missing nose i like that i like that it's it's not even like not perfect it's like egregiously flawed and maybe that hubris or something that causes that type of flaw is something that i'm drawn to i guess speaking of that as a as a purported taylor swift fan at least way back when. <laughs> How did you feel about the the controversy between those two? Did you go back and forth on who was telling the truth when it like played out? Were you like shocked? Did you just separate them in your mind and just be fans of both and be a fan of both and just not really think about the interactions that they've had? Um, I wasn't shocked. It what my most logical explanation in my own head is that they're all in on it and it's to help all of them because it literally does help all of them. I know this, I see page views. Um, I feel like I feel like either she wasn't clear on what exactly he was gonna do or she didn't like the way that it came out. Like there's a way to like tell someone like, Hey, I think I'm going to, I'm going to like say like that I made you famous and that like, I, I think that we might still hook up one day. And then there's hearing like, I made that bitch famous, which is, which is her narrative. But her narrative also feels a little thin, right? Cause like you see him on the phone with her for a while. Yeah. But then we only see certain sections of the time when he's on the phone with her. And also like, this, wasn't this before you could upload old videos to Snapchat? Like, there was, like, a lot of logical holes in the story. So I, that's part of why I'm like, eh, it's just to help all of them. But I think I think if, if anything that I've learned in my past decade or so um, is that as someone who has white privilege in America, I have a lot to learn and I have a lot to um, make up for and to be quiet about and to understand that I'll never understand. And I think that Taylor's getting there and she's really trying, but she's really ignorant in a lot of ways. And the amount that Kanye has bent bent over backwards for her in my mind is huge and she should be focusing on that instead of trying to take offense and play the victim but as someone who like I said is self-admittedly still learning and struggling as well I understand how she feels like like she said, she doesn't, she didn't, I don't think she even knew who Kanye was when he interrupted her. Like, <laughs> and to me, like the way that I came to him, that is very, that is very uh, likely in her trajectory that she wouldn't have encountered him. So, and, and it is important to me that, that I said in the very beginning, like the music industry is so male dominated. It's important to me when women succeed. So yeah, I go back and forth on it a lot, but 
ultimately, I think because of Taylor's white privilege, she is the one that needs to be doing a lot more work than she has done. And I'm hopeful that she'll educate herself and she'll come to that same sort of realization. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it'll be interesting to watch it unfold. <laughs> it will. And I'm very much looking forward to her putting out a new album this fall. I hope she does. She's due for one, so oh, let's man. go. Like, in my perfect world, Kanye is on her new album, you know? And so is Kendrick, and so is, like, a bunch of other, like, hip-hop stuff. Like, that's in my perfect world, but we'll see. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Instead, hopefully she doesn't come out with another... Like, that one song she wrote about Kanye was... pain. Like, I find it physically painful to listen to. Yeah. Um, she has a couple missteps. She also has, like, a super slut-shaming song about some girl that hooked up with this guy that she used to be dating. It's like, this girl's better known for what she does on the mattress. I can't remember what it is. Oh. Hey, you know, she has, she has, like, a huge discography and a super long career, and she got famous when she was, like, a teen. Like, there's going to be fuck-ups. That's the other thing I don't really like about how celebrity narratives unfold. Even for people like the Kardashians, like who make mistakes all the time is that like, there's so little room for empathy and forgiveness. Like if, if 40 people are watching me give a speech, I feel like I fuck up the speech. Like if 4 million people are watching everything you do, like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to mess up. <laughs> yeah. The level that we hold celebrity accountable to is atrocious because we wouldn't hold our friends to that same level. We wouldn't want anybody holding us to that same level, but we expect celebrities to say and do everything perfect they were just uh with the nba draft people going back through the twitter feeds of some of the draft picks and pulling out tweets and being like look how controversial this tweet is and it's like the the guy that just got drafted who's still 18 right now or like 20 was just 14 when he wrote that tweet or 13 like and you're gonna hold that up as like an example of who he is as a person no. It's just a lot of it's just a lot of bullying. It's a lot of scary shit too because everyone feels removed from it because it's online. But when you're on the other end of it, which I have been a couple times, like it's just it's so horrifically painful. And because like it didn't really happen in real time, it's harder to get over it because like it's still living there online. Like there's still tweets of people saying hateful things to you online. And whether that's as horrible as white supremacists tweeting at my Jewish friends, like I hope you burn it in an oven or someone making fun of my writing. Like it's a whole spectrum of, of really bad, ugh, just really bad stuff. Yeah. Very. Well, and that's what made Kanye's, uh, famous video. So interesting because as you're saying that a lot of the, hate that's piled on celebrities is so removed mm -hmm. and which is what makes it almost like Stanford prison experiment -y, um, mm -hmm. in the fact that people will be more cruel because there is uh, a degree of separation. Yeah. Uh, that video that Kanye made where you have the, the voyeur camera going over the vulnerable sleeping celebrity figures in bed and how uncomfortable that made people because this thing that has been so, removed to them is now putting them in a very voyeuristic, very creepy perspective that is the reality of their perspective, but they don't see it as such or like to think about it as such. So to confront people with the fact that this is what you do to us was, again, I think, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, also that video didn't track well because 
like I said in the beginning, people want a very specific thing from their celebrity. They don't want to see them as a human with their makeup off, naked in bed, you know, like they want to see them in all their glam and their glory, doing things exactly right, you know, being this role model that we can all admire. And I thought it was funny that that video didn't do well. And it was like a great video in a lot of ways. Yeah, most people want to see celebrities, like, be perfect, or they want to see them crumble. There's very few, like, I just want the person to be a person. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if we're not getting a, a top five, what's your, do you have favorite Kanye songs to run to or work out to? Do you have favorite Kanye songs to drive to? Uh, different kind of folders of Kanye songs, so to speak. Um... I listen to uh, Black Skinhead and I Am a God to Run To all the time. Um, whenever I'm really happy and in love, I listen to Bound To. <laughs> and I listen to a lot of um, songs off of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy when I'm happy. Like all of the lights and Monster and Power, to me, those songs are all like really good pump up songs. Um, I think I, there was like a period of time. I I was a long distance runner for a long time. And there was a period of time where I would end every single run with Nikki's verse on monster, (laughs) (laughs) which is like such an embarrassing thing to admit, but it was like a fun ritual. Um, uh, there was, there was another period of my life where I would listen to good morning every single day when I woke up. Hell yeah. (laughs) And can't tell me nothing. Like I love listening to that song because, like I said, like that's one of the songs where he's like, "No, I decide for me. I decide for me." Like that's when I, when I need that feeling, I listen to that one. And okay, I think, oh, I might. Oh, it's so hard for me to say this. It, I might think that "Flashing Lights" is the best Kanye song. Oh shit! Yeah. Why is that? I think it's a perfect song. I, I mean, it has, it has everything about Kanye. Like it has like the production and the pain and the visuals like, and I like that. It's like not a fast nor slow song. Like it's right in between those two. Like, and and it's one of those songs. If it comes on, you know, it's him. (laughs) Uh, I, it has a classic Kanye wordplay. Yeah, it has all of the, like, it has another artist featured really prominently, which is, like, such a Kanye thing, like, and I love how he, like, he, like, sets up the idea of this um, shallow person, but, like, who isn't really shallow, you know, like, the reasons why she would believe in physical wealth instead of dreams or like based off of her experiences and like none of that's really written into the song but there's there's all that subtext that you like begin to understand as you learn you know about celebrity in America and like getting older and just like who you can actually count on like I I think there's so many layers to this song Uh, I think uh, as you're saying getting older a lot of Kanye ages well I feel just in terms of Maybe sonically, as you're saying, with uh, as you said with 808s, that it can age in and out. But that if you're looking at the lyrics, they resonate for different reasons at different ages, which I don't get from a lot of the 
music I used to listen to. Like, if I go back and listen to Shinedown, some Shinedown song, I'm not usually like, oh, this hits me much different now that I'm 30. But if I listen to a lot of Kanye tracks, I'm like, yeah, this does hit me a lot different now that I'm 30. Right. Yeah. And, mm, yeah, he's so ahead. I feel like he was, and yeah, I feel like Kanye is very mature and people call him immature all the time. And I'm like, I don't think that's the case. I think that he's chosen to broken social convention a lot of times. And it's a very distinct choice. And people are like, Oh, he's impulsive or he's immature. And it's like, like you said, like you're listening to these lyrics and you're like, wow, these are resonating more now than they did a decade ago. It's like, yeah, because he already knew all this stuff. Like <laughs> he, he had already been through so much when he started rapping, like he'd already been a producer and he'd already, you know, gone through so much that a lot of us who are more privileged haven't gone through. So, um, I think flashing lights too, to go back to that is a very mature song. Like it's a song about regret and, about like the bare Starks facts of how things are, but it's also still very emotional and still very like imagist. And, and I don't know that. Yeah. That I'm going to choose that as my favorite Kanye song. Perfect. 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 Well, I think that's a, a great place to end off on this story. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Yes. So much for having me. I had a great time. <laughs> Perfect. Any parting words to the uh, Kanye universe? My hope is for a Kanye Lord collab. Let it be. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Let it be. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, thanks. Bye. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.